This is Mr. Christopher with the Funkatopia radio show. And uh, every now and then we get like really great guests that are on here that are doing some fantastic things. And we are lucky enough to have the one and only Donna Grantis on the line. How are you, dear? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing so, so good. Many of you know Donna from, many of you know her from Third Eye Girl, but she's also got a brand new album that's also out that's going to be coming well it's coming out in april actually called diamonds and dynamite and we're going to be talking a little bit about that but you know i was kind of when i kind of got the pre-listen to this album i really kind of wanted to know a little bit about your background story and how you ended up playing guitar and what was your how old were you when you started playing guitar i was about 13 okay and was it because your parents asked you to do it, or was it something that you were drawn to yourself? Uh, my older brother had an acoustic guitar, and one summer I thought I would just pick it up and learn a few chords, and I checked out the tab for Stairway to Heaven and was totally hooked. <laughs> yeah, Stairway to Heaven seems to be like the, I guess, the gateway drug to guitar playing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's even a little bit in uh, what I, what movie was that with uh, where it had the sign on the in the guitar shop that said "No Stairway to Heaven." No Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure many guitar players have had the same uh, <laughs> same start as, as me. So a lot of people, as I mentioned, know you from Third Eye Girl. Tell me a little bit about the story about how you actually met Prince and how he discovered you. Sure. So in November of 2012, I received an email from Joshua Welton and Hannah Welton, the, the drummer in Third Eye Girl, and Joshua is her um, her husband, and he produced, co-produced Artificial Age, and also played played on stage with us too from time to time. And the message said, "Hi, would you be interested in jamming with?" Prince and the band at Paisley Park. Uh, so it was, you know, it was my absolute dream to, to play with Prince, and you know, receiving that message was was surreal. And within a week, I had a one-way flight booked to Minneapolis and a short list of songs to learn, and the rest is history. <laughs> Why was it one way? Because I think that Prince is. Prince has always been quite spontaneous, so I don't. I don't think he knew how long I would. Uh, I would be up there playing for, but yeah, so yeah. you know, we. Uh, and I didn't. Amazing. I didn't really know. I didn't really know what to expect either. But yeah, we jammed. You know, the first the first day that I that I got into town, and then uh, we just kept playing for the rest of the week, and he was giving us. Uh, you know, a list of more and more songs to learn, and you know, before we before we knew it, we had a, a set ready to play. Now, what was what were some of the original songs, the initial songs that he had given you that he wanted you to learn? On that short list, there was about six tunes. Um, Endorphin Machine was on there. Purple Rain, Cause and Effect. I, I can't remember all of them. I, I'd have to I'd have to go back and, and dig up. Dig up that that original message. So, so, but but how did he hear about you in the first place? Were you playing with a specific band that he saw online, or what was the story? 
Yeah, so he asked um, Josh and Hannah to to find a guitarist, and they came across some of my videos on YouTube. They sent those videos to Prince, and one of them was of me playing at a club in Toronto with jazz fusion band during the Toronto Jazz Fest, and we were covering the song Stratus by Billy Cobham, and that's that's a tune that that Prince often played and and we actually covered it a lot with third eye girl and the other video that he saw was of me playing a song called electra at an event for prs guitars and that song actually he he rearranged he rearranged it and it became plectrum electrum the title track from our our album and you know you're obviously familiar very familiar with prince beforehand and, and are you asking yourself, or did you ever come out and ask him, your um, prince, what, why would you need somebody else on guitar behind you? I mean, were you questioning why you were part of this process at all? Um, no, because I think... Um, <laughs> That's great. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, there, there are certain things that, you know, a single guitar like a, there's a sound that can be created by a single guitar, and then there's another type of sound that create can be created by two guitars. You know what I mean? Like, and that's a very that's a very unique thing. Like having having two electric guitars in a group really creates a vibe that's different from guitar. You know, a guitar and a keyboard. Right. Yeah. So I mean, but thinking about. And thinking back on those rehearsal sessions with him, you're, you're kind of watching a master at his craft. Were, were there any yeah. specific guitar techniques or strategies that he showed you that completely altered the way that you approach guitar or the way that you uh, record or, or anything along those lines? I, I learned a tremendous amount about funk from him. I, I learned a lot about, um, you know, the a funk vocabulary in general and also how to the, the phrasing involved and and how he approaches that phrasing with you know rhythmic precision and and the articulation is, is quite specific too you know the the note values um are are very are very short and when it comes to recording i i did learn uh, a lot from him as well you know although we rehearsed a before going into the studio, you know, there there were some times where maybe we ran through a tune once. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Or he would call out some of the different sections while we were actually, you know, in real time in in the studio, and we we recorded live to tape, and that's something that I was really important to me with the new record, Diamonds and Dynamite, with my own band. I wanted to, uh, you know, capture our performances uh, on tape. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, we're about to get to that, because there are some very distinct similarities to what Third Eye Girl was doing and what I'm hearing on the new album. And you know, when it was funny that you noted that as far as, you know, the song structures, because when I interviewed Ida Nielsen, one of the things that she said that stood out the most to her was how he really put a big emphasis on the importance of the space in between the notes, even more so than the notes, just kind of understanding the pacing of everything. And um, But another interesting story that she told me was that 
how none of you, according to her, none of you really knew what Third Eye Girl actually was. That you were making all these quirky videos and then all of a sudden you're playing on a late show and you're being introduced as Third Eye Girl and everyone was like, oh, I guess we're Third Eye Girl. Is that how you remember yeah, it? Yeah. Or were you a little bit more suspicious than she was? No, no, that, that that's absolutely the case. I mean, we, you know, we were playing music day in and day out and having a blast doing that. Um, and then on social media, you know, there were some posts that went out about Third Eye Girl and we, we had made some quirky videos, you know, that were just a lot of fun. We were, we were just goofing around. Yeah, there was a lot of ambiguity behind it. We didn't know, you know, was Third Eye Girl you know, the name of an art piece. Um, was it Prince? Was it us? Was it a band name? Was it a bootlegger? You know, there was a lot of a lot of mystery behind the name. And when we played on Jimmy Fallon, that's when <laughs> we got off stage and we were we were very excited to <laughs> to realize that we were third eye girl. <laughs> well especially when you start to see where all your hard work starts to start coming to fruition and it starts making sense and it starts to actually form something and you're watching it and it's just, yeah, to have like a revelatory session like that where it's like, oh yes, okay, that's us, that's great, awesome. But, you know, one of the things that I noted, because we're about to talk about your new album, is that during the Third Eye Girl rehearsal sessions, there were a lot of instrumental songs that... I was heartbroken that didn't find their way onto an official release, you know, for or even onto Plectrum, Electrum, like Menstrual Cycle or Moondrop or Octopus Heart or like the lesser known, the third heart of the Octopus Menstrual Cycle, originally dropped from the moon or whatever it was called. But I was actually surprised that there were so many of these songs that were just left on the cutting room floor. And considering that your album has a lot of that vibe were you were were you a little bit put off by the fact that there was so much great music that was left there or one song that made you a little bit more sad than another that didn't appear on this release on that release more or less no not at all um you know those those tunes that you mentioned i mean that was just us jamming one night you know and there's a lot of music that was recorded. You know, some some of it was just jam sessions or running new material. You know, recording was was part of our day to day. Yeah, that That's was just that was. I mean, really, it's the it's the process. You know what I mean? It's. Um, having experienced those jams and played that music, that I mean, that's that's the really fun part for me. Well, and for the, those hardcore fans out there like myself that really fell in love with the vibe of those instrumental songs, I was so excited to hear your new album, Diamonds and Dynamite, because it literally is exactly what fans of those songs like Moondrops and Octopus Heart really wanted to hear really like an official recording of something like that and it has that exact same vibe as those songs that were fully instrumental and fleshed out to perfection i mean it was just the vibe of the album is so perfect from front to back and it's just moody and voluminous and has a really great energy and solid production so that brings on a lot of questions first off what was the primary reason for not choosing to highlight any vocals on this album did you, was it 
pretty much your vision from the get-go for this to be an instrumental album? Yes, it was. Um, and, you know, I'd say about you know, 90% of the music that I listen to is instrumental. Um, I listen to a lot of jazz, and um, I just created a, a playlist on, on Spotify. It's called uh, Electric Playlist to give to give people an idea of, uh, you know, some of some of the influences behind the, the project. But, you know, artists like Jeff Beck, Hendrix, Bill Frizzell, John Schofield, Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, you know, I, I, I love that kind of music. I, I, I listen to it. I listen to it a ton. What is the, the time frame of when these songs were written? Were they pretty much written in a tight period of time? Did, did Prince get to hear any of this music? He did not get to hear any of it. I, I started writing near the end of 2015. I wrote most of the record in 2016 and, and a little bit into, into 2017 as well. Now, who is responsible for the production on this album? Because again, as I mentioned, it's the way that it's recorded is it does actually have that live feel, that vibe to it where it just has a very, very raw energy to it. Can you tell, tell me a little bit about the production of this album and who was behind the production of this album or was there multiple people and a little bit about the process? Sure, yeah, I produced it. I was going for exactly what you described. I wanted a really live feel. I wanted listeners to feel like they were experiencing the band at a show um, when listening to the record. You know, I think that that sort of old school warm sound um, and the really live sound has to do with recording live to tape. What I learned from Prince is that that really creates a sense of urgency among all musicians for everybody to really be on our toes and interact and listen to each other a lot. And, and play our best, you know, really um, go for the, the best take possible. It's one of those things where if somebody, you know, really, really messes up, then everybody's got to do the take over again. So nobody wants to be that person. But I also went in, went into it, you know, where the band was, we were, we were rehearsed enough that the, I feel like the compositions and arrangements were, were solid, but it was still, you know, loose enough that that um, you know I really wanted to keep things fresh going into it so that so that there would be kind of a newness and you know sort of real-time interaction and I think that produces a really human quality to it reminiscent of those you know older recordings yeah and I saw that Mike McCready was on a couple of the tracks for those who don't know who Mike is he's actually the guitarist for Pearl Jam and so tell me a little bit of the story about how you met him and what was his yeah. his involvement in that project. Yeah. Um, so I met Mike back in 2013. We were playing a show uh, with Prince and Third Eye Girl at the Showbox in Seattle. And Mike and the band came came out to check, the, check out the show. Um, and then we hung out backstage and kept in touch. And then in May of... 2016, he invited me to uh, join Pearl Jam on stage in my hometown of Toronto, Canada, to play Rockin' in the Free World. Um, and and then Baba O'Reilly uh, a couple of nights later. And that was such a blast. Uh, and we were talking about 
how it would be really cool to, to collaborate. And Mike has a, a boutique vinyl record label called Hockey Talker Records, and they put out seven inch singles. And we both, Mike and I, really dig vinyl. So we thought this would be the, the perfect opportunity to do something. And I wrote uh, Trashformer, that's the A side of the seven inch, with Mike in mind and and he he plays a killing guitar solo that is just knocks me out every time and on violetta he added ambient sound effects throughout with delay and feedback and uh, i think it's just beautiful Speaking of that, you know, one of the things that I notice is that most of the album's song names seem to be referring to either people or maybe personas. It is, I mean, for instance, uh, Mr. Majestic, Violetta, Lioness, Master Manifestor, Elsa. Is there anybody specific that those songs are referring to or maybe somebody specific in your life that really holds a special place in your heart as a tribute on one of these songs? Yeah, every every song title has a story <laughs> that's, that's related to the composition. So, for example... Um, Mr. Majestic. Mr. Majestic. Mr. Majestic is about my family and the love of my life. Very nice. And what about Violetta? Violetta. Um, Violetta. 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 Um, to me, Violetta is the name of a superhero or a superheroine, you could say. And the baseline in particular was inspired by just the image of a superhero <laughs> named Violetta, you know, kind of strutting. And what about Lioness? Lioness, well, one day I was reading a, a children's book to my son, and it was about, um, you know, the name of the the mama, the data animal, and the, and the baby. So we got to a section about lions, you know, and so it was like the daddy lion is called a, you know, the daddy is referred to as the lion, and the baby is the cub, and the mommy, mama is the lioness. And I just thought to myself, that would be an amazing song title. Just the visuals, you know, that that I had in my mind and, and how those visuals sort of pair up with sound is, you know, the, the full expression of that can be heard in, in that tune. So it's it starts off, it's pretty, um, 
I don't know, kind of brooding. And then, you know, by the end of the tune, there's a there's a pretty heavy rock riff. And um, yeah, that that imagery just all fits together for me. That's amazing. It's, I mean, and I noticed that it, that was very you know thematic throughout the whole the whole album and i mean was there a specific song on here that was a little bit more difficult to get to um as far as getting to a point where you felt maybe something that's a little just a little bit more difficult to put together and just you were trying very very ardently to get to the outcome that you wanted uh, that may be a little bit more difficult than the others hmm. um you know, there's definitely a, a mix of you know how how quickly I I wrote some of those songs. Trashformer was written, you know, all, very quickly once once the sort of main main riff popped into my mind. You know, in other songs, I, I had pieces of those songs. You know, like A sections, melodies, bass lines in mind chord progressions and then you know really it was just a matter of you know revisiting them whenever I I felt sort of connected to the the feeling that that those you know chord progressions can can create or or inspire yeah I think some of these songs that have a little bit more jazz in like diamonds and dynamite or electromagnetic I mean both of those have like a really heavy have different jazz progressions to them so when I was I was listening to some of them I, they would get to a certain point to the song and I was think that's you know for because you were saying yourself that you wanted to do a lot of this live and kind of you know get that raw energy but you know some songs like that really take a lot of sculpting in order to get it to a good point yeah the songs were, were all very composed before I brought them to the band but I really wanted to leave a lot of room for, you know, interplay and interaction. And I wanted everybody to have a chance to shine and really play out. So I I left a lot of the, um, you know, sections kind of open during rehearsal to to, before I really, you know, decided on on firm arrangements. Are you going to have like standard single releases or are you just going to be releasing this album in its entirety? Trashformer and Violetta have been released, um, and they are available through Hockey Talker Records as a as a 7-inch. Diamonds and Dynamite was released as a single along with Mr. Majestic, and the album is available on all streaming, uh, all digital platforms worldwide. And then the physical CD will be released April 5th. Fantastic, and and all I can, as I was saying before, is that this album was just, you know, being with Funkatopia, I, I get like a lot of material from various sources, but this particular album, Diamonds and Dynamite, has literally become on my regular playlist. Just, it's a great album to work to. It just has this great vibe to it. It's one of these albums that. Maybe it was mistakenly done this way, but it's so perfectly structured and put together in the way that it flows that it's just, it's really easy to get to the end and then the album start over and you don't even realize it. It just kind of just flows so perfectly. Thank you. And it was, Thank you, Chris. Oh man, it's just, it's such a great album. And I, I can tell everybody here with, without any reservation 
that if you had the opportunity to be able to go out and pick up a physical copy when they come out on April 5th, the album is called Diamonds and Dynamite, and it comes out. You can obviously listen to it now on the streaming services, but I would much rather you go out to the record store and actually pick up a physical copy because that way she can make a little bit more than 0.0001 cent. Um, <laughs> I'd appreciate it. And you're having an album release party also in Minneapolis on March 28th at the Dakota. Want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we're playing two shows, one at 7, one at 9.30, and it features my band Sufla on Tabla from Brooklyn and from Minneapolis, drummer JT Bates, bassist Cody McKinney, and on keys Brian Nichols will be playing you know, songs from the album and a couple of new songs as well. Oh, and are those the players that are actually on the album? Yes, they are. Oh, fantastic. Good, because I was going to ask you that, and I just realized I didn't ask you that question, but you answered it, so that's phenomenal. But cool. Donna, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I really, really greatly appreciate it. This album is, I'm not kidding when I say this to the listeners, this album is really magic. It's just, it's so well put together. The fact that you did the production on your own is definitely noteworthy because it's such a good vibe. And on top of that, the elements, the way that they kind of work together harmoniously on this album are just nothing is overpowering. Everything has its place. And you did a fantastic job on this album. I'm very, very happy with this outcome. And it's definitely one of the best releases that we've heard this year. So I'm, it's, it's great. Thank it's really you. Good. It really uh, is good. Thanks so much, Chris. And great to talk to you. Thank it's, you. It's great to talk to you, too. Ladies and gentlemen, Donna Grantis, thank you so much, dear, for hanging out. Thanks a lot. Thank you.